don't bite off more than you can chew. Learn the word no. And that's something I actually got more or less from my dad. For a while there, I'm like, ah, it's fine, I'm making money, whatever. But it's really just taking on too much. That's been my biggest learning curve is just uh, learning how to say no and knowing your knowing your self-worth. I know I'm more than just building for somebody. I feel what my next stage in building is going to be. It's going to not only, of course, it'll help my family immediately, but it's going to help a lot of local families, which is amazing to me because the cost of living here has gone through the roof and a lot of people don't make that much money to afford a, a place to live. And I'm a lucky person to be smart and creative and being able to make things happen that to me is rewarding to be able to know that I'll provide a home for somebody that they can afford. Welcome to episode 112 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And in this episode, I speak with Landon Mondragon. And Landon is a design-build contractor here locally. He's also been on HGTV and had a pilot launch with HGTV. So we spoke about that episode and just the complexity of doing that project. But not only that, how that set the tone for his business how that set the tone for his systems and management. How is Landon dealing with supply chain challenges right now? How, you know, what is the biggest value? As he looks back, if he were to start his company today, where would he start? And there were some great conversations about just that relationship, networking with his trade partners, and just other builders that I've networked with. There was so much valuable information that Landon shared. So without further ado, let's get started. So I'm Brad Levitt, president of AFT Construction. And today we have one of my good friends on, Mr. Landon Mondragon. Welcome, Landon. How we doing? So Landon and I have been connected for quite some time, and I, I really respect what Landon does. He is a design-build contractor, does his own design, does his own build. Extremely creative. I've walked your projects. I've been through many of them. We've been friends through, I mean, we met initially through Instagram, been friends because you're here local for a few years now, and I've just admired everything you're doing, and this has been long overdue, so I'm glad you came on today. I appreciate that. I mean, and, and being here and being part of this as my first podcast, I mean, and especially with you, who I just, you know, look up to and your work is amazing. I'm Super pumped to be here, man. Yeah, it's exciting. And it's funny you say that because we'll get into this. But for those listening, as we get into this later in the conversation, uh, Landon was on HGTV. So he's an HGTV star. He's our claim to fame here. Uh, and, and, and this is paid, right? <laughs> this is a paid podcast, right? Okay, yeah. Get with my agent. All right. But but the real reality is it's crazy. This is your first podcast. But, but before we get into that, you know, I think for the listeners to understand a little bit more about you, I mean, Landon, you, you've you've come a long way. I mean, you've, you've done build the suits, you self-perform, you've done flips, you've done your own investments. I mean, all over the, the place. And so looking at your structure now, if you were to start your business in construction, where would you start? Uh, hands down, like personnel. Uh, it's probably been, it took me so long to get my team that I have now that um, if I could go back and cut that time, even in half, I'd be so far ahead. Um, the subs that I have right now just perform at, you know, the quality that I need and need to deliver to my clients. So that's, I mean. So what does that consist of? I mean, for you as a design build contractor, when you talk about personnel of these, uh, and, and you mentioned this a little bit, like the trade partner subcontractors, so are you specifically speaking of them or the team itself under Landon Mondragon? Yeah, more my team. I mean, my trades. Um, because without them, I'm, I'm really nobody. I mean, uh, no. Not very many people know this, but I literally have been running my whole business basically by myself. You know, of course, I have an accountant, and but I do like my own social media. I go and do my own sales. I do my own contracts, which is just, it's insane. Don't do what I do. Like, <laughs> seriously, like it's, it's been a nightmare in some cases. But um, yeah, man, without my guys, I'd just be, I wouldn't be in the position I am, you know, and it took a long time to build them. So I'm just very thankful to be able to have the crew I do. Well, 
You know, this is an interesting conversation because as you think about building a team, building a network, whether it be employees that work under you directly or whether it be trade partners, subcontractors, you know, over time, as you get experience, as you go through, you start to refine that. You start to meet new ones through networking and uh, maybe even through social media companies reach out. Where would you recommend? How have you seen some of your best subcontractors? Where have they come from? How have those relationships been developed? You know, over time. Um, I mean, really, like the best way I've been able to find them is word of mouth or, or reaching out to people like yourself, you know, and being asking, "Hey, do you have a good?" I think I reached out to you not too long. It was like, "How's your HVAC guy?" Because I was just having a kind of an issue with my guy, and he didn't want to do quite as big of a job that I was on. He felt a little intimidated, and I reached out to you because I know you do. You know, what's your smallest house these days? Like <laughs> twenty thousand square feet. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I reached out to you, but um. You know, just just having having those guys and uh, reaching, being able to, uh, what do you want to say? Use your social media uh, has helped me a bunch. Get some people, but mainly just using my my relationships uh, that I've built with with my friends, with my with my contractor friends. I'm glad you said that. You know, and I'll I'll give a little shout out. So sticks and bricks development. Um, JD has become a friend of mine as well, okay. same as you, Landon, and similar. Where I've reached out to you for some subs. I mean, there was a time where I'm like, hey, I really need these scopes of work, for example, a stucco company. Uh, at the time, I really needed, and he recommended someone that he had known for a long time. And they've been amazing. They've been one of our key subcon like trade partners oh, that's for great. yeah for the last five years. And so, one of the really most valuable ads of social media is you know the networking, right? You and I meet through Instagram, and now as you know, as we respect each other and the craft, and we know how difficult construction is, and that relationship with the client and our trade partners. What's amazing is is you can essentially vet or network because when I look at some of my good subs, I know I can't keep them busy by myself. I just can't. And and they have to support their team. They have to support their families, their group, and they need other good general contractors that are going to respect the work that they do. They're going to value that. They're going to pay them on time. And so there is a, a very... I'm. I, Elite's not the right word, but there's a network of builders that respect this process, right, of building. Absolutely. And, and by networking with them, and as you said, I think that's been a, I don't want to say a shortcut, but it's been a great avenue for us to build a very talented trade partner base. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly what you said, vetting them, right? Like you've already used them and people know like who AFT is. You know, you guys aren't just out there doing the mom and pop little things, you know, you guys are out there really building and changing the landscape here. And uh, it's, it's nice to be able to call somebody like you that's already, already built an, uh, an established relationship with these people. Cause now it's like, Hey, I don't have to be like, can I come see one of your jobs? No, you already know. Yeah. And the reality is, I mean, especially in this climate, right? Uh, this current economy of construction, it's really difficult to get supply chain It's difficult to get labor. And so those relationships, right, that you've cultivated, you or myself or other peers are, are really valuable right now. And I even look back, I mean, before starting AFT, I was fortunate to work for a really good builder in town and met a lot of good subcontractors. I still are good friends to this day. I still use. And so that was another method before starting my company is really develop those relationships with the trade partners, the salespeople, the installers. And by meeting them and developing those relationships, yeah, now we start AFT and it's like, hey, call them up, doors open, we're doing this work and you already have that, that known entity, that known relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I've realized now with having such great subs, I mean, is, you know, I've built this 
we're like a team. We're like family at this point, right? But what I have heard, like through the grapevine, just from a lot of my other contracting friends, is just it's it's hard to get guys to show up. It's hard to get guys to bid your your homes. I have friends that have called other contractors to have them come bid their homes, and they come out and then ghost, gone. So everybody's just there's so much work out there right now. People are just being so picky and choosy of you know whatever they want to do, and it's kind of name my price. You don't want to pay it. That's cool down the street will. So how are you dealing with that? You know, I, I don't want to say the pushback you have as a general contractor, but the reality is, I mean, there's still price protection to some extent you have to have for your clients on a design build for your client, you know, for your investment, which I know you do a lot of as well. So with those, how are you sensitive to the demands that our trade partners have with their labor force sensitive to it and still working with the budget, which everyone has? Um, It's, a, it's a, actually a very difficult question um i i guess my, my approach has just been you know my my guys have been with me for a while now so i kind of know where we're at the only thing that's really been fluctuating on mine is material which <laughs> has been going through the roof and you know fortunately in contracts i have written in there you know hey you guys are paying escalation clauses exactly exactly mm -hmm. but i've been i'm fortunate in a spot right now to where my team is i i know where their prices are at and if they try to be like raising something because oh you know i have all this work right now we don't ha i don't have that problem personally so i i, I actually don't know how to answer that <laughs> uh, amongst some of my other peers out there that have probably been having that issue you know I, I guess i'm just very fortunate to have my guys i mean i don't even i know this could be bad and whoever's listening could say oh my gosh i can't believe he does it. i mean i literally i don't i don't much shop my guys price around like i just have my crew and i know it's like hey we get in we're flexible. If some guy, one of my guys is behind, it pushes another guy. You know, all of us know each other very well. So it's like, oh, hey, Tom was running a day late here. I can move this. And everybody just works together. Well, what's interesting, and, and let's touch on that, because I think this is an important topic to speak about. And this is for other contractors and designers, architects, listen, even clients, right? And that are out there, prospective clients. You know, when you think about that comment, Landon, when you think about the complication in the building process, there's so much go that goes into the craftsmanship of a home. There's a lot of coordination. There's a lot of relationship. There's a lot of material. You're dealing with so many personalities. And and this before I touch upon this, what's going back to that original comment, you said, hey, Brad, you just built these 20,000 square foot houses. And what's funny is we actually have a house that's 3,000 square feet, right? And we have, I mean, and we do have some bigger ones. You know, we kind of range in there. And I always tell my clients, hey, you know, I just want to work for good people. It's a really tough business. It's a tough industry. I want to work for good people and I don't care if you're spending 100,000 or 10 million or 3,000 square feet or 30, it doesn't matter. And so, you know, under that understanding of our our goal is working with clients, but you think about the building process and I had Matt Reisinger and he was on early on in the podcast uh, in the 40s sometime uh, last year. And he said a couple of things that really had a big impact on me. He said, look, Brad, when I, because one of the things I've, I've struggled with is when you're doing a cost plus or when you're hard bidding, right? You know, one of the things that the clients want is they want at least three bits from every scope, right? And what's really tough about that is at the end of the day, this is a risk business. We take the risk. And not only the lifeline to our business and our families and all the work we've put into it, but when you get into the structural components of a home, whether it be excavation, whether it be masonry, waterproofing, framing, you know, concrete, these are core elements that really will dictate the success of our career, warranty, safety of our clients and us, right, at the end of the right. day. And Matt's always been like, look, 
when it comes to life hazard scopes of work, I'm getting one bid. Yep. And it's the people that I know and I trust. And you know, the assurance I can give you as the client is that it's not like I'm saying, hey, Landon, I'm going to hire you and sky's the limit on your pricing. I mean, I, I have a gauge internally to know what did I pay on the previous project, whether it be by square foot or lump sum or whatever it was. So I know essentially what concrete's costing me per square foot. I know what framing's costing me. So I can still track that. There may be some escalations due to current market conditions. But at the end of the day, I don't have to shop this guy. I can at least, there, there's a relationship where I know he's not trying to get rich off one job. There's been this relationship we've had for many years. I know the work he's going to perform, the value he's going to bring. And so for me, it's, it's helping the client understand that process, that value, and knowing that we are still price competitive, but it doesn't mean you have to get three bids essentially. Right. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it with like the, the structural components, you know, I mean, uh, when when you boil it down to a house, yeah, your your concrete and your framing are like your big your big twos, in my opinion. You know, that's that's what one's holding the house and the other one is the house, right? <laughs> so it's so it's those are your two guys. You never want to chimp on. You know, you don't want to try to go find a guy that's less expensive if you're already really happy and uh, with the way one of them delivers, right? And same with framing. I mean, uh, you know, this guy's five thousand cheaper, or, 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 you know, than the other guy. What does that really mean in terms of, okay, now you got to put your name on this product for, you know, the next 10 years as a builder, right? You know, you have like a 210, right? So you have to be responsible for this work. And I, just, I don't know, I can't, put a, I can't put a price on that, you know? I don't, even if I had to take it out of my end, I'm okay with that because I know I'm like, okay, I'll make it up somewhere else on the, in the job somewhere. You know, maybe I can come down here or there to make up for you maybe wanting to go with, oh, my, uh, my neighbor, he's a framer. Do you think we could, uh, you know, uh, I, I've gone down that road before. Oh, my cousin's a, fr- you know, <laughs> no. I'm sorry. Did you say family? No. Yeah. Out of the question. Like, no. <laughs> well, there's nothing more expensive than a cheap price, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's important, you know, that, that not only us, but the clients understand that. And there's so much, I don't want to say vagueness, but interpretation when it comes to bidding, when it comes to estimating, when it comes to actual, um, you know, install of the work. And, and that interpretation is really important for us to dissect as the GC. So looking at this relationship that's incredibly complicated, Landon, when you start your company and you're okay, so personnel is key. And I, I think that's really valuable because when I've asked that question to other people in the past, that direction has not been taken, but the value is we're only as good as our subcontractor right. base, our trade partner base. In addition to that, where do you think you've refined yourself as a business owner now a lot better than Landon 1.0 from the very beginning. You know, what would you also look at in addition to just creating that that amazing team? Um, well, so that's a, that's a that's a uh that's a good question over there, Mr. Brad. Um, I think one of the things that uh I've changed a lot about how I do business now versus then was I got really good at reading my clients. Um, getting into the right relationships, right? That has been like the big one for me because when you when you just get that gut feeling when you're when you're getting in into a, a you know, a big long deal with somebody where if you're going to be building them a home, you're you got to be friends for a year, you know? And out of the gates if you're feeling a little wishy-washy, don't be afraid to walk, you know? Don't the money's not that important. Like you're I've learned that um Quality of life. I guess that's a, probably what it boils down to. It's quality of life is what I have learned then when before when I was yes, 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 yes. 
And now I've turned, now I'm a yes, no person, you know, not because the amount of work that, that that's out there, but it's because now I've realized like, okay, I don't want to put my self through that because it just, you bring it home sometimes, you know, you're in a, your clients put you in a bad mood or, or something and you're just, uh, it just ruins your week or something like that. And I just, I'm, I'm over that. I'm past that. Yeah, I'm glad you shared that. I, I feel that that is one aspect that we don't speak enough about in our industry or even on social media is how to vet clients, right? How to find the ideal clients. How do we have a temperature, the room and the space? Because a lot of times, you know, you think about it like your eyes are bigger than your stomach when it comes to like food, right? When you're ordering, yeah. you're really hungry. It's no different than, hey, I really want this job. Like I've, I, I really want this amazing portfolio project that I can market and advertise. And I'm going to deal with this client that may be unrealistic or this building process that may not have all the elements I really need to be successful, but you kind of have your eye on the prize without thinking about, well, how are we going to get there? And I've made that mistake many times. In fact, the, I, the last time I made that mistake was in Paradise Valley about four years ago. It was probably the worst experience I've ever had for a client. And I really learned there's some boxes that have to be checked at minimum for me to say, yeah, I'm going to be the right contractor for you. And, and it helped me internally say, okay, here's the boxes. You know, Here's kind of the ideal client I'm looking for. They need to have a designer. They need to have an architect, right? They need to have kind of these elements so that I can be successful at my job. If they fired all of them on two different occasions, well, then there's, there's probably a problem there, right? That I need to figure out. But, but what's interesting is after creating that, that checklist, I had this amazing project. It was this incredible project in a part of town we wanted to work in. It was one of those, I don't want to say trophy home, but it's just a really awesome project for the portfolio. And I remember that the client was really aggressive. Uh, the husband was really aggressive with me on, on, on phone calls and with the team. And I'm like, you know, just kind of getting this feel. And then we had a conference call with the architect. And on the conference call, uh, he starts yelling at his wife, like yelling at her in front of me and the architect. Ugh. We weren't even in the same room. I mean, we're on the phone and it was- That's like the dead giveaway right there. It's like, ugh. And I'm like, if he's going to talk to his wife and his spouse that way in front of me, yep. what's going to be our relationship eight months from now? And I walked, I left and he wasn't happy about it, but- um, Good you know, for you. Yeah, it was early construction. And sometimes you just have to take a step back where I've seen the signs for certain clients, whether it's personality- whether it's unrealistic expectations that they may have of me as the builder, especially in COVID times where it's really tough to build. And I just have to tread lightly and in the most polite way say, hey, we're not a good fit. You know, let's well, hit the reset button. And, and, and the other thing here that I think is huge is, you know, you obviously have a, a, an amazing team, like amazing staff that's beneath you, you know? So the moment you sign up with that guy, you you literally just brought all your guys through the muck. Like, you know, all your your whole team, all your project managers, your whomever, your subs if they're on site there and somebody comes come he, he the the owner comes and is like, "Why is this sub doing that?" decides to lay into one of your subs. You know, you're basically setting yourself up for for everybody, you know? So, it's important to have a strong leader like yourself that can go in and be like, "Hey, this this we're just not a good fit." I'm glad you shared that because I mean, one thing when you think about the morale of a company, right? Whether it's your your, your work family, your employees, whether it be your trade partners that, that you alluded to in the very beginning and, and spoke of highly, Landon, is that there, there has to be some sensi sensitivity there. This comes down to company culture. It comes down to building successful companies. It's not just, hey, do we have a gym in the office? Do we, have, do we provide lunch every day? 
you know, those are great things, you know, working at Google, whatever. But at the same time, when you think about, well, what projects am I challenging with them? What kind of people are they dealing with every day? How are those interactions? Are these clients really demanding of their personal life? Do they have ability to check out, you know, after hours? Um, you know, my team works really hard and they're amazing. And, and I do have to be really cautious, as you mentioned, of by, I don't want to run them through the muck by bringing in a client that isn't going to be conducive to, to their health and performance and mental stability because this is a really stressful industry. Oh, especially right now. Now, it's just so big to make sure everybody on your team, you know, you're, you're thinking of everybody all the time. You know, it's, you're, you're not a one-man show. You're thinking of your whole team. And that's what I've come to realize is so important. And just making sure my guys are around good people, you know. I, I, I don't, nobody on here maybe knows me personally, but I seem to think I'm a good person, you know. So Great I'm guy. like, <laughs> thanks. Um, but uh, I just don't want to be, I want to be around more people that are, you know, like, you're, like how I am, you know. Yeah, you surround yourself. I mean, you are who you surround yourself with. Right. I mean, that's reality. So if you surround yourself with successful people, with good people, with uh, people of good virtue, whatever it may be, you know, good business ethics, you know, um, entrepreneurship mentality, right? You're you're gonna wean off it. Like you're gonna gain insight off of that. And it's really, I'd appear when I was really young. I think I was like 21 years old. That was really big on that. He's like Brad. Whoever you surround yourself with, that's who you become. And it was really a goal at that time. Well, who am I surrounding myself with? Who am I aspiring to be? How do I want to get there? And then always having that vision and then saying, you know, and it's not that you're kissing up or like being fake. It's just, no, this is, this is the goal that I want to pursue and this is how we're going to get there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if I was to give anybody advice, it'd be to, uh, to figure out how to maybe get better at that. Uh, get a book in psychology, right? Study the mind. Like, how does the mind work? Um, I, I used to play poker professionally when I was 23 to 26, right? And I, I did very well for like those three years, but it just... I don't know, it was kind of a stressful job and took the fun out of it, right? But oh, definitely part of, a stressful job. <laughs> but part of, you know, you're playing with money every day for sure. But um, part of it that I loved was I got really good at reading people. And when I say reading people, like, you know, tells. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you see, it's maybe, uh, what do you want to say, a little different. You're not reading somebody's tells as much as you're reading maybe how they react to a question when you're dealing with somebody in like a construction across from them. Gonna, you know, you're vetting a client. So uh, I, I just think having like a, a poker mindset going into it is is also a good, interesting approach. But psychology mainly, just being able to kind of read your opponent. I call him almost an opponent at this point. You know, I don't know if that's the right term, but you know, it's just like all right. You know, because when you're trying to when you're trying to you know capitalize and get the get them to sign the dotted line. I mean, they're at that point. They're you're you're fighting somebody else, right? Like somebody else is. You guys are both trying to get the same guy. So at that point, I call him like an opponent. You're like trying to win. So. Yeah, we're highly competitive people, yeah. right? It's a competitive yeah. industry like they sure. all are. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you're always trying to find a way to, to bridge that gap and, you know, create that separation. Now, we're super excited to welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. 
They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. So getting back to that, I mean, you talked about how complicated it is to build right now, which it is. And, you know, I've spoken about that at length with some of the guests on this, on this podcast. But from your side, Landon, it's even more complicated when you bring in a TV show. <laughs> so when you have HGTV oh. and you have vendors and you have timelines, right? These aren't timelines that can move like we're dealing with now that maybe there's some flexibility. You know, so so where did that opportunity come up, even the opportunity to be on, you know, have your own pilot episode? Instagram, actually. So there was a, an executive that uh, works for Scripps Network, which owns HGTV. And she had been following me for a long time and I had no idea who she was. And um, she reached out to some production companies to, hey, call this guy up, see if he's interested, shoot him an email. The first got this one email. Went right into the trash. Like I trashed it. I'm like, this is, this is a scam. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I really did. And the and then the the next and then all of a sudden that person was calling me a couple times, and I'm like, man, this is such a scam. I got on the phone with them, and I'm like, oh, you know, and it just didn't feel right. I'm like, oh, this is like, this isn't me. This is something. I don't know. I I don't want to say it wasn't me, but it was a. Uh, it just didn't seem real, right? I guess that was the thing. Because I'm like, oh, it's TV. Yeah, right. I'm like, you're just some scam. You want some money or something like that, but. Anyways, fast forward, the, uh, she then reached out to me directly and was like, hey, that was a real call. That was a real company that I sent. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, who are you? And, you know, she introduces herself and tells me. And she's like, I'm going to send another production company your way. I want you to, you know, if you're interested in this, are you, you know, she basically was like, are you, would you consider this? And I was like, okay, let's give it a shot. So we did, you know, a little, little video about myself. You know, there was somebody asking me questions and, um, then it got taken to production and then they approved it and they sent out a company out to Arizona and filmed me on one of my flips I was currently working on, which was good timing. And they filmed a little video, made a mini pilot, I guess you could call it. And uh, next thing I know, they said, hey, we got greenlit for a pilot to film a, sh- a flipping show with you. And I'm like, what? You know, like, are you serious? You know, I've watched this on sh- on TV a bunch of times on all the networks and either on DIY, HGTV, all those networks. And next thing I know, we're, we're filming a filming a show out here in Scottsdale. And, you know, there's like, what well, we need you to do something amazing with this house. And I'm like, okay, well, this is my one shot. I got to show the world, like, what what I'm about and what I can do, you know. So bought this house, 1,300 square feet, and we put a 1,600 square foot addition on it. They said, you have 55 days. <laughs> and I... <laughs> to do the full addition, like full, structurally... Cosmetic, everything. Everything. Enough to be able to have cameras in there filming when you're done. Like turnkey, furnished, everything. So we get into this. So mind you, you have three, you have at least two cameras rolling at all times, right? And you walk in a door. Okay, now we got to do it from this side. And we got to do it. So everything you're doing is three, is, is three different times, 
right? So if that is not enough for you to just go insane after a little bit, just going, I just did that. Like how, how, how can I do that again differently? Right. But, and then all the cameras in your face and then knowing, okay, you're still trying to manage a budget. You want to make a dollar on this project. Then you think about the big picture and you're like, okay, forget about the big picture. Cause it might not happen. You get, you know, so all those things are going through your mind. And, uh, we get to a point like halfway through and I'm looking at my schedule cause this realistically was like a hundred day build putting 1600 feet on a house with also remodeling the additional 1300. We replumbed, rewired, all new HVAC, a brand new roof, and a 1600 square foot addition, fully landscaped outside. And I don't mean like grass and some rock. I mean, we had metal planters. I mean, it was done to the dimes. And we get to a point and I'm like, hey, um, guess what? I need, I need some more time. You would have thought I asked for a million dollars. What? Uh, we can't do that. I'm like, I need like 10 days. I'm like, you have no idea what this is on my end. You guys are just here filming it. You come and go as you please. Uh, because, you know, they come in and they film like the important turns. They're like, okay, every two weeks, let's go film the big change this week or whatever. So were they, before he gets out, were they there every day or were they there in segments coming out for certain key phase items that were happening in the so they had um i I think what do they call i can't remember the 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 guy's title but they had somebody here full-time so if something happened or whatever they could he could get on camera get it on camera let's film it whatever so he was out there almost every single day filming what we were doing and then they would come out like the big production with two cameras sound everything you know uh, about every two weeks i'd say um so ended up i i got the extra time you know but it was you know, oh, they it, did. It, it so cost. they did grant they, you the they 10 gave days. me an extra five days. I asked for 10, they gave me five. Right. Wow. So I had six, uh, it was like 60 days is what we did it in. And, um, I just, I, I, I'm like having flashbacks. I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, this is, t- this is t- you're, you're going to give me a heart attack. No. <laughs> um, but we had, uh, we got it done. It turned out amazing. Um, they were very pleased with it. Um, uh, my team was great. You know, I, I've ran everybody through. The clean on the cleaner on that one. I'm, I mean, I just everybody you could just see it in their face. They were crushed. I was crushed because I, on top of filming, I was working hands on, you know, being trying to get anything we could done to get this thing done for them. And and we did it and it turned out great. And we were, they filmed 70 pilots and we were one of seven that made the air. Wow. So they actually went out and actually filmed 70. So even in the 60 day time frame, they did this 70 times throughout HDTV. Correct. So there's, there's um, the production companies are not, they basically are like a subcontractor of scripts, right? So they go out and they find the talent and they're basically bankrolling it, right? HETV gives them a little bit of money, but they basically have to cover the other end of it. So they uh, would then go out, find the talent, they'd film the show and then hopefully it gets picked up because then they can cash Then they in. cash out. Yeah. So, so the risk for the production company, so okay, Landon, we believe in him. We're going to take a risk. We're going to cover a lot of this cost. We're going to go and then, then hopefully it performs. Now, how much influence did you deal with the product itself? I mean, being that this particular project was your own investment and your own flip, did you have full control on all the finishes and design? Did HGTV have a role? Was there discount in with vendors as far as what you can share, what you can't share? Um. So... I, I was working with a designer at the time and we did basically the whole interior together. Um, and the exterior was my buddy, Brian, who did an amazing job. And uh, then we worked with a lot of vendors that actually contributed a lot. So we were very fortunate, you know, I was able to use some of my, 
my relationships I built, right? Uh, over the past years. And they were, they donated some, some items to help offset some costs, but, um, we did good on the house. Um, it was just, it, it was just so stressful, Brad, that I don't think, I, I, I guess, I don't know if I'd ever go back and do it. I, it's one of those things I'm like, you know what? I'm almost happy it didn't work out. Of course, when you, if it would have worked out, I would have managed it and been able to go with it and been fine and figured out how to deal with it. But because of what we did, it was just like we bit off too much. I'm like, we should have just remodeled the 1300 square foot house, made it really cool and called it a day. Yeah, it makes sense because I mean, if, if it's to go on for season one or, you know, future, you're going to set up systems, you're going to have other, whether it be an agent, you're going to have other aspects to help you and manage that, pro- that process instead of trying to do it all yourself. And so really, I mean, do you feel that that experience had an impact just on your company structure individually, even as a one-man band landed that, hey, this is now how I can set my projects up in the future to be more successful and now set this protocol so that I'm not so stressed out. For sure. It it 100% help, uh, helped me. I guess it, it it let me knew how fast I could actually work and how I could streamline things so much more, how, how I could overlap a couple areas of subs that before I was like, you're done. Next day, this guy starts where I could be like, okay, I can get this guy in a day or two early working with this guy because they're not maybe in the same area or they're not, you know, they're just not on top of each other. So that that definitely helped and uh, helped speed up a lot of my other processes and got my name out there a little bit and got me some more jobs. Um, yeah. So how did that work? I mean, just when you think of, I don't want to say notoriety, but just the the opportunity where you can say a scene on HGTV and your vendors could say that, but did that change, you know, your relationship moving forward or opportunities for future work, future projects, future networking? Um, yeah, I would say yes, but because it was a pilot and we only aired, I think it was a total of four times and we were up against the uh, final four one time. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> who's watching HGTV or that? Right. I'm like, no shot. Um, uh, but it definitely changed a few things, you know, it was fun. It was interesting to go into people's homes and you could just see how they were kind of almost, uh, I don't want to say starstruck. I'm not like a celebrity by any means, but you could see like they're like, once you're on TV, it just changes, you know, your persona of, of how people feel are Because like they you. know you, right? Right from, right, from watching you work and your mannerisms and yeah. your creativity. And they're just like, the house was so amazing. And how many people like just knew things about me? You know, maybe they went back in my IG and did some, did some digging or something. It was just, so it was neat. Like people like paid it, I guess they just paid more attention, you know? So that was, it was neat to uh, feel like... Uh, I don't know, like all your hard work kind of paid off sort of thing in a way, you know? Uh, so you're glad you did it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would not uh, take anything, but I, I would do it again, but I just don't think I, I would, um, I'd just do it differently. I don't yeah. know, I don't know. Probably wouldn't bite off, not more than you can chew, but just been more conservative as far as the expectation and goal. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think just it being so rushed took some of the fun out of it. And that's what I know. Like if it went on, it would be more fun. You could have more fun with it. It was like, we have to get this done. And these people were literally like, hey, this has to happen. This needs to get done. And people asking, you know, hey, is there going to be a problem today? We need a problem. You know, they're like yeah. fishing. To, I'm like, yeah. no, no, we don't We don't want that. We're already on a tight <laughs> schedule. It's right. You know, hey, can we? I don't want a water yeah. leak. You know, and it ended up, it was actually funny. We ended up having a problem where our, uh, my framer who I always let do all my, uh, truss, trusses and, uh, roof lines and everything. When you're tying into old roof, you know, you gotta be spot on with those things. And we were three inches over. Oh, wow. 
nobody really probably knows that on there, but you know, we ended up, they actually filmed part of it and they, they put it on there, but he literally like feathered it back into the house. So you'll, nobody will really ever notice it, but it was one of those things as being even a builder is kind of, I, I guess you could almost say I was embarrassed in a way. Cause I'm just like, man, that's never happened. And now it's happening. And there's cameras rolling and they're like, tell us more. And I'm like, yeah. no, yeah, let's like, not talk about it. it. Yeah. I'm like, look at this tile over here. You know, I'm like, it's really cool. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Tell us more about your issues so we can all watch it. And <laughs> yeah. Right. And pick it apart and start getting all these DMS. You're like, idiot. Yeah. You're I can't idiot. believe you. What yeah. kind of builder are yeah. you? You're a schlep. No. So, <laughs> um, no, that, you know, that project, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was interesting how it all ended though. So I had, um, the, the guy that was there filming all the days, like that was there just in case, you know, they needed to catch some little bit of footage of this, a little bit of footage of that. We became buddies. Like we're good buddies, right? We built these relationships. Oh, I did. I, I used these relationships I had with vendors and found this one company to donate furniture for the outside. Like $6,000 worth of patio furniture. And it was like three pieces, you know, <laughs> like nice stuff. Yeah, really you know? nice. And um, so it's all there. It's out back there. And the house had already been robbed once during the filming, right? Like these guys came in, they took a bunch of our tools, whatever. It was like some, some jigsaws. So someone had just and, broke in and taken stuff. Right, which happens a lot on job sites. It's super mm -hmm. unfortunate. That's like my least favorite person is the people that steal people's tools because that's how they make their living, you mm -hmm. know? Like that's just rude. But um, so, yeah, we got robbed. They took a few things then. So we were already on watch of like, okay, we don't want it to be robbed anymore. We had the neighbors watching for us. Okay, great. So we're done with the house. We, it came down to the wire to where we were there till 1 a.m. the night before the reveal, right? Like staging it, putting all the stuff in. And this guy's like, I have some friends that I can bring over and help you guys, you know, and the whole crew's there. I'm like, oh, that would be super helpful. So this guy shows up and he's like, yeah, I can hang, you know, some curtain rods, blah, blah, blah. He goes and starts trying to measure out curtain rods. And I'm like, this guy has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> and, and, you know, at that stage, I'm like, this guy's just going to start drilling holes in the yeah. drywall that I'm like, yo, I did that, hey. you got to repair them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is this guy. So I went over and I like start babysitting. And all of a sudden, these other two people show up at like 1130. And they have like alcohol. I'm like, oh, is this turning into like a little party now? What's going on here? Um, So I get, I'm just like, okay, what's what's happening? Then another person showed up. And that's when I like went over to the producer. I'm like, okay, listen, we'll finish it from here. I'll stay late. I don't care. Get these people out of here. She went over. She she got rid of them, or the director, I should say. She went and got rid of them, and they went on their merry way. And it just they were just weird. They were like so friendly, but, you know, I was using, my reading. Sketchy I was about using it. my reading skills going, yep, your poker skills. Yeah, my poker skills. I was like, I'm all in. You guys are bluffing. I don't know what your deal is. So, um, so the reveal is the, uh, let's see here. It's the next day going back in my timeline here. Uh, so that night it's pouring rain and, um, I get this, this call at like, it's like 2 AM and it's the neighbor. It's the neighbor Landon, Landon. I got him. I got him. I got him. And I said, what do you mean you got him? What, what are you talking about? I'm half asleep, you know? Uh, I got them. I got the, I got the, I got the people there. They're in the driveway. The cops are here. The cops, everybody, they have their guns out, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? I'm, I was like, I'm on my way. Cause you're like half asleep. And, and I live 10 minutes, like seven, 10 minutes from this house. So I'm like, I jetted over there. I beelined it to the house. Cops are there. These guys are in the driveway backed up and they have 
that lounge furniture or the furniture in the back of their truck. <laughs> it's pouring rain, right? I go walking up and this guy's like, see, there's Landon. He knows us. See, he knows. Uh, and I, I'm like, you know, it's pitch black. It's raining. I walk up, I get a little closer. And it's one of those guys that came over to try to help us finish the inside. The guy trying to hang the curtain That's rods. Crazy. Come on, man. You know, and I, I was, I, he said, oh, yeah, Landon told us we could come by here and uh, pick this stuff up. I'm like, I, I told you to come get the furniture at 3 a.m. or, you know, it was like 2, 3 a.m. in the morning in the pouring rain. You guys had my permission to take this. I'm like, that's your story? Like, yeah. crooks are so funny. I'm like, come on, man. So he- Thinking uh, you're going to bail them out or something. Yeah, literally. He's like, yeah, it's fine. I'm like, no, these guys are, these guys are uh, not, they do not have our permission. And actually, my, my partner on the deal, he lived two doors down from the house. And he had come out and he walked up and he told him what time it was. He was like, hey. You guys don't steal from us. You're going to jail, you know. And I, I just stood there and I was just like, "You guys are just, <laughs> you know." So, so I, it was just a weird ending to a, a, to a really, you know, I guess fun and stressful time that that still happened. And I said, "Oh man, all that," and then this happened. <laughs> but you know, hey, the house, the house sold, highest price house in the neighborhood. Um, it was great. Turned out great for everybody. I was very fortunate to have all my crew on there and they got to use the HGTV name forever for the life of it and they got some exposure and you know just I was I was very thankful for everybody that was involved so yeah I know a lot of your vendors have had a lot of success and I will say see just like for everybody you know what we see on TV is perfect everything's piece of cake it's super easy just like we show on Instagram right (laughs) oh (laughs) they could only just see the behind the scenes (laughs) no one wants to see that so how do you you know, how do you deal with theft? I mean, theft is an issue I think many of us deal with. And there's a lot of, whether you're building in, uh, you know, different parts of town, you know, some parts of town we're fortunate to where they have 24-hour security, 24-7 security. In fact, a lot of the HOAs, you know, fortunately they have guard gates. So you can't even get in unless you're resident between, you know, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. So they're really restrictive, which does help us, you know, with theft, but then we have other projects that are exposed. And so how do you deal with that aspect of the business? I mean, first first thing I do on almost every single one of my jobs is put up a fence. We lock it up every night. I don't barbed wire the tops or anything like that, but I put a chain link fence because it's enough that, hey, if somebody wants to get in, they got to go over a fence to to get into your property, you know? And then if somebody sees them, yeah. they're going to they're, they're be Pretty making suspicious. a little bit more noise. Yeah, yeah, you know, they look a little suspect. Um, but, you know, really the, that's, only the thing I've actually done, you know, I've thought about, do we set up cameras or anything like that? But again, I'm actually in a fortunate area myself right now where there's actually two guard gates to get into where we're building right now, right below Camelback. And, uh, you know, nobody can really get in there. And I guess one of the other things that is good is all my, again, I trust all my people on staff to make sure we're locked up and good. So you have some amazing stories. That's why I enjoy conversing with you, Landon. So (laughs) I, I know you've had another theft experience oh, unrelated man. to the couches. Oh, yeah. the So my, my first house I built ground up, uh, actually in the neighborhood that I live in currently, which is really funny, and it's on the same street, go figure. Uh, my appliances got stolen right out of our, right out of there, which is, I mean, you know, part of me, I was so upset. I was pissed, you know, <laughs> but I was also going, man, these guys are, you have to be some serious, like you have enough time to get in there and take a fridge a dishwasher, uh, a microwave, you know, unbolt everything clean because if it damage it, you know, they probably can't resell, can't resell it. it. 
That night it was raining too. So hey, when it rains, go check your job sites. <laughs> so that was, was just that's random, amazing of all you know? chances because it doesn't rain a whole lot in Phoenix. Yeah. yeah, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering if it's literally do they do it because of the noise? You know, like it offsets. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a crook. Ha. <laughs> no. <laughs> but they, uh, yeah. So the, the appliances got stolen out of there. I had all the receipts, all the all the item numbers and everything. Serial numbers. Yep. And, serial numbers. Yep. yep. Thank you. The I start a. Um, Searching Craigslist and offer up. I don't actually think offer up was around then. I was searching uh, Craigslist and I found the set. One of the the slide in stove that I had was very specific and um, it was like a, a newer model that just came out. So not very many people had it or were using it. It was backlist, right? So it was a true slide in. And I recognized it right away. I'm like, hey, that's my, that's my that's stuff. It was at a store over in West Phoenix. They were selling it out of the front. So I'm like, this is straight mafia style. And in through the back, out through the front, you know? So I go over there. And before I went over there, I researched, I got online on Google and I researched where all the serial numbers were on each piece. So I could act like I'm, you know, I found out it was the stove, I think, is where I found it's on like the inside door. So I acted like I was looking at the stove. And I memorized like seven of the numbers and I'm like the first seven match. I'm like, what are the odds? You know? So I call the cops over there. Took them two hours to get there. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, I negotiate to buy my appliances back. That was the best part. I got the guy. He's like, yeah, 2,500. I was like, I don't know, man. Let me call my wife real quick. You know, I was like BSing with him. And so I negotiated him down to like 2,200. So here I am trying to buy the, my stolen <laughs> appliance stuff that just came out of my house. And he takes a deal. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the bank, you know, because I was like, oh, yeah, I got to buy some time to go. Yeah, to wait uh, for the cops. Wait to for show. the cops, right? Um, so he's like, okay, deal. So I leave and I drive away and I went and parked in a parking lot not too far away. And the police finally showed up. Literally, it was two hours later. And I showed him, here's my receipts. I had my paper copies in hand. I'm like, here's my receipts. Here's the, here's the police report because we filed a police report two days prior. And he's like, why do you guys have these? And they're like, oh, um, we bought them on Craigslist. That was their out. So because that was their story, we had no way to prove that they were in the house. They, they call it almost what's called a, like a pawn shop clause. So it's like a pawn shop. If you go to a pawn shop and you give them something to... You, you go yeah, to pawn, pawn it, right? Yeah. Right. And, and it ends up being stolen. Well, the pawn shop just, they're out the money, right? They just have to return it to the rightful owner, right? So they're like, okay, well, we'll stay here while you load them up. So I drove around back, put them on my truck, and took them back. And literally nothing happened to those people. Nothing. And, and that's what was just so, I'm just like, are you kidding me? I'm like, do y'all not see what's going on here? I'm like, you should call the FBI. I'm like, these people are taking it in through the back and out the front. I'm like, go Especially look at the Especially appliance store. Yeah. And it was just unbelievable. But the kicker to this story was I, you know, we have insurance on house, right? So we file a claim with everything, you know. So I call the insurance company. I'm like, hey, listen, we found, we found the appliances. And um, I just want to make sure like, hey, you guys don't give us money because- you know, that could be insurance fraud. I didn't, I didn't know right. what was going to happen. So the agents all, well, because they're stolen, now they're technically used. So we have to give you full replacement value for new ones. So I took those appliances, put them back in. They cut me a check for like 5500 bucks, and I made $5,500. <laughs> so in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, this is such a good side hustle right here. <laughs> you know, but that really happened. And I just couldn't believe that. I'm like, because I did the right thing by calling them. I didn't want yeah. to, you know, I was like, ah, I didn't know. And they gave me the money anyways. I yeah, told I them. Yeah, I mean, you're being yeah. truthful with the insurance yeah. company, lay yeah. everything out and, and make sure it's all properly documented. But it's amazing that just the next day, 
they show up at the appliance store now. I mean, you've done your due diligence, figuring out. I mean, that's a lot of research from your side to figure uh, that out. Yeah, it was just, I don't know. What do you want to say? When you just got that gut feeling, I'm like, man, somebody's going to try to sell these. I just know it. And it the, the, Popped up next day. That's it. And uh, it, it, was, it was interesting because the guys, uh, they were speaking Spanish, the guys that were working the shop over there. And, you know, Brad speaks Spanish, if you guys yeah. didn't know. And I mean, way much, much better than I do. But I, I know enough. And, you know, in, in their speakings, they were basically just saying, like, hey, we need to be better about doing this. <laughs> and we're idiots. And, like, you know, and they have no idea I can speak Spanish. So that was, you know, I, I just I caught him. And I, just, I just gave him a glare. You know, I just gave him, like, the side eye. And I was just like, man. See, it's amazing. I mean, you for those listening, Landon speaks really good Spanish. I mean, I'm fortunate because I lived in Argentina for two years. So, you know, I didn't li- know that. Yeah. So I lived there and spoke fluent Spanish, you know, read, write. And I actually took, I minored in Spanish in college. Oh. And I didn't finish my minor. I was like three classes away from minor in Spanish, but I was ready to get out and get into the workplace. So right. I finished construction management. I was ready to go and not finish my minor. But, um, but getting back to this, so, you know, speaking of appliances, lead time, right? I mean, th- this is one of the issues we're having, not to call any manufacturers, but you know, supply chain, it, if, for us in the past, if I need appliances, you know, we'd have them on order 30 days out. We're ready. We're installed. Let's go. Now it's like eight months out. So how are you dealing with, especially when you're doing a remodel or an investment or flip in times of the essence, even a client, right? Can't slack for our clients here. How are you managing that process? I mean, when it first started happening, there wasn't a way to, man, it was just had to go and say, this is what's happening. Um, we can order them now. I don't know when they're going to, you know, usually it takes my appliance guy can get me stuff within 10 days, you know, legitimately, unless it's a special piece, you know, and and now it's, it was turning into three and four months, you know, so you're just having to tell people like, Hey, we might have to use your old appliances for the time being and throw these new ones in when they arrive. Um, but once we got a grasp of what was actually happening across the board, you know, not just with appliances, it was a ton of chemical based items that we were in. It's more or less just the moment you sign a contract, you're getting draws to get all the stuff that you know takes uh, four to six months to get, hoping that it lands at the time you need it, you know, enough to where I've ha- I have a storage unit to where I've put stuff in that just because I'm like, well, it's better to have it early than not have it. You know, I've staged it a couple of times. I've had to do that. And one of the one of the biggest things I ran into in this last build I've been working on in Paradise Valley was spray foam. It was, it was gone. It was, it disappeared. And I called companies all around here. Even my regular guy I use, he's like, I can't, I can't get any. He's like, I, he goes, I can either do your lids or your walls. I'm like, but not both. He goes, that's how we're managing our clients right now. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm like, you serious? I'm like, whatever. I was like, let me do what I'm good at. I get on the phone right away and I start calling all the places around Phoenix and they're like, nope. Are you a client of ours? And I said, no. And they said, well, we would only give you X amount anyways. And I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm like, what if, you know, I'm like, what if I brought you, no, you know, yeah. I'm like, what if I had a briefcase? What if I have a briefcase yeah. of cash? Yeah. Would you be? <laughs> yeah. No, that was not happening. You know, even just the, the sweet talk had no <laughs> shot. It was no shot. Um, so I start, I'm like, all right, let me start calling all of our border states, you know, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, nothing. You know, I'm like, I could drive and go pick it up. Nothing. Calling around everywhere. I finally find this huge uh, foam supplier out of Florida. Right. And we're like ready to put foam in. It's like it's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Right. Rough trades are about out of there. So I'm like, all right. So I get hold of this guy and he's like, I have three kits left and kits, meaning like uh, they come in like 50 gallon drums. Right. And two piece to make 
chemicals mixed together. Long right. story short, whatever. Um, uh, and he's like, I have three kids left. I'm like, send them. I'm like, what is it going to take? You know. So here I am. I'm, I'm buying it already. What do you tell me? Last week it was 1,900 for a kit. Now it's 2,800. So <laughs> it went up 900 per plus freight per, plus oh, yeah. shipping. And then yeah, tack on it was 550 in freight to get it over here. You know, which I actually thought I was like, that's eh, not, that's too, not bad. too bad from Florida. Cheaper you know? than driving there. But it's they just throw it on another load. I'm like, oh man, I need to get in the freight business. I'm like, dang. Um, so we 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 got it here. It arrived, and they're like, well, we don't have a lift. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I had to borrow a buddy's like commercial building that he owns unload it there load it on my truck take it to the job site i mean it was and i had to explain it to my clients and they're like thanks like that was, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that's do all you, you got. realize what i what just I went through? did to yeah. get you fun? like because i'm i'm i like to be proud of the product we turn out and i feel like spray foam is one of the best insulators you can use you know it gets in all the nooks and crannies and really gives people a, a good product which i pride myself on you know so but it was just the reaction i got i'm like you guys have no idea. I'm like, you're so lucky to have somebody like me that went to the extra mile to like do that, you know? Because most people just ended up, my friends are like, we just went with bats, like bat insulation, you know? Uh, because they couldn't get foam. And I'm like, nah, we'll find it. And you think about the construction process. I mean, the, the amount of effort and energy that went in for you to get the product, right? For spray foam insulation. This is a two day at most install. I don't want to say nothing burger, but it's something that's, that's easily glossed over throughout the building process pass four-way inspection, get insulated, go to drywall, right? Right. And so you just kind of move through it and, and you think about just how complex a build is now. Think about the complex stuff you're doing if just, I don't want to say the simple tax, but something that's pretty straightforward to come in, in and out, and then you move on, you know, that it's at that level that you're ha- trying to source this product. Right. And I mean, it's just, you never know how, uh, what do you want to say? How good we have it until it's gone sort of thing, you know? When everything's ready available, you're just, yeah, it's easy. Hey, we're doing this thing. So now it's been like a fighting for materials and trying to get ahead of stuff and making sure, like windows was has been a big problem for everybody right now. I see, I can't tell you how many builds I've gone by and the foam's up like for stucco and chicken wire and then it all stops like four <laughs> inches, four Short inches from a, or like six inches away from a window. I mean, I've seen 10, 15 homes like that It's and I'm like, well, Windows right now are running four months. So so it's interesting bringing up the insulation because this is the first time I heard this story. And what, what's interesting, and I won't call it the manufacturer, but I was actually meeting with the manufacturer that sources right the, the product to the installers. So the installers buy this company. It's from a company back east. And they said, hey, for, for our product, there's 47 installers in Phoenix right, that install this product. And they said, because we have such supply chain issues from overseas and locally for a plethora of reasons, they're only selling to companies that can buy a full truckload a month, right? So they'll ship out from back east a full truckload a month. I mean, this is a big ask, a big commitment, and you you had to be buying one a month at minimum, two, three trucks a month, whatever it is, to get the product. So they said only four. So, So that's part of the problem is now you have the manufacturer that's saying, okay, out of 47 of you, only four of you qualify and I can only get enough product for four of you. So you four are getting the product every month. And so you think about the strain that puts on you and I now, well now not just competitively bid, but you think, okay, so all the builders in town and when remodeling that needs this product, well, there's only four out of 47 that can get it. And so it's just, I think this is part of the conversation that, um, that whether we're not speaking about enough 
understanding enough as builders. Our clients don't understand that it's just an incredibly complex time. And how do we set that proper expectation? How do we convey that to the client for them to understand, you know, what you and I are dealing with every day? Right. I mean, and one thing to touch on there is, you know, I I was jokingly saying, yeah, he's only building 20,000 square foot. I mean, when you think of 20,000 square foot home or 10,000 or 3,000, what you guys are building, I mean, there's still high dollar numbers in that. And, you know, and living in, you know, the Scottsdale area where you guys are building or Paradise Valley, you know, these are, these aren't like $500,000 homes. These are like multi, multi, multi million dollar homes, right? That we've been working on out here. And with that dollar figure comes a special client, which is no is not a good word. <laughs> right. You know, it's like not an acceptable word a lot of times. So you have to really massage it and the way I've got around it is basically just trying to be as upfront as I can. The moment I know, they know within five minutes. This is what I get. Or I have my vendors. I'm like, listen, you got to do me a solid and send me an email that explains all this because that way it's coming from them and you don't have to be the, <laughs> not necessarily the bad guy, but it's like, it's nice to have some backup and be like, this is, this is what I get. You saw when I ordered this, here's the update. It's shipping now 45 days late. I can't do anything about it. Like, you know, don't, you know, but still sometimes there's, uh, you just sit there and what do you, it's really tough. I, I will say it's funny. We have a very complex project right now. It's it's our, our largest square foot home. It's a very large home, very complex build. And what's amazing is the, the client has a, an owner's rep, right? There's a third party consulting firm working with us. And it's, it's actually been a breath of fresh air. I've worked with a lot of you know third party construction consultants and some are amazing and some are really challenging, right? Almost like impeding the progress or communication of the project. But in this case, it's been amazing because it, it, it's not that clients don't believe us, but to have someone who's not associated with AFT outside of our process to say, no, here's what I'm dealing with around the country from the commercial sector, from the residential sector. This is unique to Brad and AFT. Like, here's what the projections are. Here's Brad. And it is comforting because- oh, that's huge. Yeah. I mean, we really have to understand market conditions so that we can convey that to our customers and set those proper expectations to be successful. Right. I can only imagine it because you guys are a lot, obviously, huge, a lot lar larger than I am. But you, so when I'm having a problem with it, I think of guys like you right off the bat that are having it. You're not having it times one like I'm having it on my build. You're having it times 10, five or whatever, how many ever builds you have going on, you know? So I'm just, that's tough, you know? It, it's a challenging process. So for you, Landon, I mean, you've been, you know, you've done, remodels, you've done HGTV, you've done flips, you, you know, I was able to go up to Sedona and tour, you bought uh, an amazing hillside project, finished your first hillside, ground up from the hillside, very complicated build that turned out incredible. Thank you. Where are you pivoting now? Like, do you see your business pivoting? Do you, are you focusing in on all these different elements? So I actually, the build I'm on right now is my last client build in terms of ground up home. Uh, what I've been doing is I've been buying dirt, um, and the plans are currently being worked on right now for multifamily. And those are just build and hold. So I, uh, you know, I call it mailbox money. You know, I'm, I'm here I am. I, I just got to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm building these homes for these people, or whether I'm building them for them to flip or building it for them to live in, whatever you're still, you're, 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 you're creating such a huge, large investment for them. And my time's leaving with that investment. So now I've just said, okay, it's time to take what I've been doing in the past, get away from the client thing and focus more on myself. And that's building my portfolio, which is going to be multifamily and some cabin units. 
Interesting. So, yeah. I mean, not just locally here in Metro Phoenix, but also outside of Metro Phoenix. Right. Um, so I've been looking up in the mountains in a few different areas, Prescott, Sedona, Flagstaff. Um, you know, dirt prices have gone through the They're roof up there. pretty expensive right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so that's been a challenging part of it. Uh, fortunately for me, you know, being the builder developer, you can shave some of that down. Um, but those areas are just very sought after. And I want a place uh, like a getaway place and maybe it turns into an Airbnb as well. So these are investment places. And now are you working with other investors? Is this something you're trying to sell fund? I mean, how is that? Uh, that? So the... The first one I have is a nine unit and that's in South Phoenix and that'll be self-funded between my father and I. And then hopefully the pl- well, plan A is to then, you know, cash out refi out of those and go do the next one, which is the next piece of dirt, but it's double the size of this one. So And just continue to build that portfolio. Surely but surely one at a time. Mm-hmm. So how does the mentality change? I mean, it's not that you're doing a lesser quality project with multifamily, but it's different, right? The the construction methods are typically different. You know, has there been a pivot there from you, especially being such a creative and design mind frame, you know, such a talent as far as that goes? Absolutely. Because, you know, right away you're, you're, you're turning into a landlord and your units are going to get thrashed, you know? Yeah. Of course, so you have to think of products that aren't just going to be look nice, but also right. perform for a lot of people and wear and tear. Yeah. Like your natural stones in terms of tiles and stuff like that, cement tile, out of question. All those things that somebody's not going to really take care of, out of the question. You're not doing waterfall countertops in yeah. these, you know. You're not putting in some nice uh, white oak cabinets. You know, you're doing. I'll do something nice to make to, to be durable to and fit. be presentable. Exactly, because also the 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 long term gain is is the nicer your places, the higher value they are as well, right? So better for the portfolio. So the idea here being outside, make them very attractive. Inside, maybe just go a little more minimal. And and how does it work from the management side? Are you going to work on the leasing and everything, the contracting yourself? Um, for the first few, yes, probably the nineplex. Yeah, I'll get that. Uh, we actually thought about doing master leases. Um, City of Phoenix is explain been, the master lease. So, uh, more or less, uh, finding somebody like, for instance, I've been talking with City of Phoenix, and they have a housing shortage for low income, right? So it'd be like turning over your property to the City of Phoenix, and you're just collecting one check, and they they fill your units. So when they fill them, now what about if there's issues or there's repair or damage? How does that factor in? So that would all fall back on me, of course. I mean, I got to go in there and what do we do? You know, usually you're talking garbage disposal. Uh, faucet, faucet, paint, yeah, touch those drywall dings. But, you know, for the first like three to carpet. five years, very minimal, you know. I won't be doing carpet. Yeah. Okay. So no, <laughs> no carpet. carpet. That's like the, uh, yeah, because if they have pets, it's game over. Yeah. So and then you got to rip it all out, replace it. And right. Right. So, I mean, that's, uh, what do you want to say? It's a, it's a calculated gamble, but it's a, I feel very confident with it. And, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough. My, my father was, had a ton of rentals back in Colorado where we're from, and he's very versed in that. And he's taught me a ton about, uh, about that. And I have some great friends that have been involved in it. So I feel really happy to segue into this because I've kind of burnt myself out. It's tough. You know, it's, I, I think it's hard to relate that, you know, when you talk about the burnout, that there is some truth to that. And I don't think, again, we talk about that enough that everything's portrayed one way on Instagram, right? Or social media. But the reality is it's a real, it's a grind and it's easy to get run down. And you think about mental health, you think about physical health and especially with COVID, with other things. I mean, and I see it, you know, we're demanding so much of our employees, so much of our trade partners, you know, 
late nights, weekends. I mean, they're getting worked like I've never seen. And then you have the stress of the clients and everything, and it makes it really difficult. Yeah. And you nailed it with the, you know, the, the, my tradesman, my, my subcontractor, I can, I've been running them hard, you know, uh, uh, and you, I feel bad, but I, I try to remind them also. I'm like, Hey guys, I'm like, at some point I feel like this is going to turn, you know, but the amount of people moving to our city, <laughs> I'm having a hard time seeing when it's going to turn, you know, everybody says all California is moving here. And I'm like, I, I believe it, but there's also a lot of other people moving here from all over the U S I mean, I don't know how many people listening actually know much about Arizona, but we have zero natural disasters here. Right. We have no hurricanes, no tornadoes. I mean, a monsoon's like our biggest thing, you know, and maybe we hot. got some hail. Yeah, it's hot. Yeah, you got to catch on fire during the uh, <laughs> summer, everyone's like, you know, but it's just a very, it's a very desirable place to live, you know. It is. And, you know, a lot of outdoors, a lot of hiking, and then access. Right. Like you mentioned, you're going to be going to the mountain area just a few hours away. I mean, you're eight, 9,000 feet elevation, right. ski resorts mountains and so there's a lot of proximity lakes and golf and you know it's a good lifestyle i I love it here we better quit selling people on arizona yeah exactly (laughs) if you're listening right now please do not yeah (laughs) no just kidding (laughs) yeah Uh, so then i guess you know without time i was up kind of and excited because you've alluded to that some amazing things in the work works which is amazing so congrats on that landon so what you know to close this what's the best advice you've been given don't bite off more than you can chew uh, learn how to l- learn the word no, you know? Um, and that's something I actually got uh, more or less from my dad, you know, just being, he's like, you're working too much. You're doing, you know, and I, for a while there, I'm like, ah, it's fine. I'm making money, whatever. But no, it's really, it's, it's just taking on too much and you're creating, what are you, what are you doing? And you're missing your family time. You're doing all those, things, you know? So it's, it's really just been, um, that's been my biggest learning curve is just uh, learning how to say no and knowing your knowing your self worth, I guess you know, like I I know I'm more than just building for somebody. You know, I I feel what my next stage in building is gonna be. It's gonna not only, of course, it'll help my family immediately, but it's gonna help a lot of local families, which is amazing to me because the cost of living here has gone through the roof, and a lot mm-hmm. of people don't, you know, make uh, make that much money to afford a, a place to live, and that's. I'm I'm a lucky person to be smart and you know uh, creative and being able to make things happen and that to me is it's rewarding you know to be able to know that I'll provide a home for somebody that they can afford. It's I I love that you share that because I had Sean Van Dyke on and he is really big on you know he he helps construction businesses that's his firm right he he's a business coach business mentor in the construction industry and his big thing is say, learn how to say no. Uh, and and you just you know that's something that we don't do and we're yes people and you know but there's times that we have to push back in expectations negotiations whatever it may be so and I think that's when I grew the most is when I started saying no yeah because yep. we can only do so much right yep. it's a labor intensive industry and it's it's not automated as much as we want it to be and even though there's automation we can do to some extent there's still the hands on that has to take place absolutely so where can our listeners find you. Well, easiest place to find me is on Instagram at Landon Mondragon, and last name's M O N Dragon. It's an amazing name, well, <laughs> Landon. You've been awesome. I oh, mean, just a wealth it. of wisdom, and I appreciate the knowledge, the friendship, you know, the the reputation you have here in town. And so, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it, man. I literally thank you so much for having me on. So, thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes. They're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss, and also one of our favorite features now 
is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.